This is Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I'm CJ Talbot, and joining me as always will be Cesar Alejandro from Filmsmash.com. This week's return episode features Shane Black's The Nice Guys, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. joining us again on this journey. This is Cellulite Jelly. My name is Cesar Alejandro Jr. And with me uh, on the other end in California is... Well, it's CJ Talbot. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. <laughs> hey, Cesar. How are you? Man, um, I feel like I was in timeout for a while. Well, uh, lot, lots of changes, lots of, lots of big things going on over here. So I've been super busy and, you know, so I'm probably primarily the reason why we haven't recorded in quite some time if you want to so. take the blame i'll let you take it yeah yeah i'll, I'll definitely take the blame you, you've been watching a lot more movies than i have i've, I've been keeping track of your letterbox account so yeah, i mean we're here together now and that's what's important isn't it absolutely absolutely don't call it a comeback <laughs> we've been here yet. for years so our last episode was um planes trains and automobiles back uh just uh a little bit after Thanksgiving, I guess, so... Yeah, it's um, been so long, I'd like to actually consider this episode one of season two of the show. <laughs> if you want to do that, I guess. <laughs> We're back from our hiatus to start a new season of episodes for you. Okay. Thank your lucky stars, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I gotta get a quick plug in here. Ready? Okay. <sighs> Dasani. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right, um, so... <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. As Look, always. it's going to be rocky. It's been nine months or something, right? Let's shake these cobwebs off. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess um, the episode, of course, that we're going to be discussing is uh, The Nice Guys, so the film by Shane Black. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, as is our custom... Uh, have you watched anything interesting on television or um, film, uh, CJ? <sighs> um, no, it's been, it's been rough this year. It really has. So, I, I mean, a, as you know, um, you know, after we moved out to California, uh, you know, we were we were actually like living under someone else's roof for a little while. So we've actually bought our own home. Um, so I'm actually sitting in my own dining room slash kitchen area right now, which is amazing. Uh, it's small, but you know, really we would love it. And, um, you know, I've only rented in the past. I've never actually owned my own home before. So we actually have a house. It's pretty awesome. I I'm, I'm super excited about that. But uh, because of that, we've been doing a lot of work around the house and we got two new puppies so I spend a lot of time playing with them and doing training and with work, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm not getting a lot of movies in. Um, so aside from the nice guys, I think the last thing I watched was Groundhog Day, um, which, you know, as you know, is, is, uh, is a Suncoast playlist favorite and, uh, and it's certainly one of Bill Murray's finest performances and I love that film quite a bit. So I highly recommend that if you haven't seen groundhog day what the hell are you waiting for 
watch it over and over and over and over again. You love Groundhog yeah. Day. Uh, I do. Um, I'm a really big fan of uh, the film. I try to watch it on the day, but it doesn't always work out. But it's, it's a film I've seen dozens of times at this point, probably. Yeah, it's infinitely quotable, uh, and Bill Murray's really terrific in it. And I tell you, on this on this most recent viewing, um, I was really struck by, for some reason, maybe it's just because I'm getting older and my mortality is is <laughs> is much more. I'm I'm more acutely aware of it now. Um, but the the vignette with the old man uh, who dies in the film, the homeless guy, uh, really kind of struck me. Uh, you know, it's it's really like three or four scenes just like strung together, but it really pivots the movie in a different direction, and it and it's not it, it's it's not incredibly jarring, and I I think it's really well directed by Harold Ramis, and I think Murray is pretty amazing in it. Uh, I think the scene where he takes the old man to the emergency room, and you know he's expecting the nurse to come out and give him like, you know, not horrible news but not you know um but he's dead not great news but when she comes out and says that he's dead he's he's shocked and uh and he asks to see the chart yeah and he just walks into the restricted area and when she tells him sometimes people just die and that the old man was just old his delivery of that line not today just really kind of like struck a chord with me um you know, and and we all know like how great Bill Murray can be, but sometimes he'll just do just a little something that just takes the performance to a new level. And and I think in that moment in that film, he kind of downplays that line, and it works perfectly for me. Um, well, I mean, it also like that scene I think is very interesting because you know. Um, the scene I always remember from that is the montage where he takes some, takes him to the diner and, you know, he gives him soup and yeah. make sure he's got plenty to eat. Um, but when you get to that scene where, you know, that's after that little montage scenes after like, uh, where he finds out that he dies. I think that's the moment when he says, you know, not today. That's the moment when he realizes that, um, he's kind of like so self-centered yeah, it's a turning point for his character, you know, where it's it's instead of helping himself with this power that he has reliving this day over and over again, it it, it becomes more of a focus to use that power to help others. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, who knows at what how many times he had repeated um, February 2nd at that point. But like, that's the time where he realizes this man has been dying every day the whole time. You know, right? Yeah, and I, I think um, you know I, I, when I was watching it this time at the end of the film, you know when he's actually on his final day, which is very soon after this this series of scenes with the old man. I always wondered, I guess, why the old man wasn't a part of that day. You know, he spent a lot of time trying to save the old man, and then you know, in that last day, he sort of has given up on it, and I kind of feel like. Part of the part of the theme of the movie is sort of like focusing your attention on your best self, and that does include giving to others, but it also includes just doing the things that make you happy. And I think that 
you know, the fact that the old man is not a part of that last, that one last day, uh, I'm, uh, is okay with me. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, you know, because I don't think he, so either. he did what he what he could do, and the the old man's death was inevitable, and and according to the nurse, sort of like painless. Yeah. Well, I so. mean, it's also you know who knows what he does with his you know with February third, right? I mean, if the old man is if the homeless uh, man is going to be, well, you know, obviously he's going to be passing on, you know, being sure there's someone there after the fact, you know, I think that he would probably take it upon himself to do so. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we brought it down. We brought it down. <laughs> well, we're going to bring it right back up. Let's bring, uh, with, well, uh, what have you been watching? Like you, oh, man, I, I know this you... One uh, gonna, <laughs> this one isn't going to bring it up, but um, when we talk about uh, our actual subject, it's going to be... <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, over the past uh, month or so... Um, I was able to participate in a couple of film festivals, Asian film festivals, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know I'm really big into film and I run uh, a small website. Uh, but I saw a Japanese film as part of New York City's Japan Cuts Japanese film festival called Red Snow. Red Snow, good title. Yeah, it's. Uh, Isn't there a different movie called Red Snow about like zombies in like wintertime or something? Dead Snow? Maybe that's it. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. All right. Sorry for interjecting. That's okay. Uh, well, Red Snow is uh, like a neo-noir, I wouldn't say thriller because it's very slow burn, um, about a, um, let's see, a, a snowy northern Japanese town where um, this man is a potter, um, but in his youth, his younger brother was uh, um, was killed and burned alive in a building. Um, and the prime suspect, who everyone was fairly certain was guilty, was uh, exonerated and uh, let off. Now, that person disappeared, but he has lived his life with, like, trauma, anxiety, regret uh, about, like, not protecting his younger brother. Uh, years on, he gets visited by... Uh, a reporter who's doing a study on that case. Um, and he finds out that there's a woman who lives in the, in the town next door who was the daughter of the prime suspect and is probably the only um, viable witness to what happened to his brother that day. Okay, um, so he, he has to she, kind of delve back into it and, and reopen those wounds. Yeah. Um, so she herself has not had an easy life, and she's very mum about about it because of her current criminal um, dealings. Now, she's kind of like small time. It's not like it's organized crime or anything. Um, yeah, but her uh, her life um, in this snowy town, it kind of hides uh, a lot of like mysteries and their ideas about like not trusting your memory because, you know, she was a child as well when all of this happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as a reporter and the two of them, um, you know, try, you know, she's not very helpful. Um, but all these things that kind of come together to kind of um, reveal what actually happened. And it's, you know, super dark. Yeah. Um, this yeah, sounds amazing. But, why have not, why have you not brought this to my attention prior to today? I don't know. I wrote a review, um, which, you know, and man, this movie blew me away. Like, um, the snowy, um, the snowy locale, 
you know, there are mountains, it's kind of seaside, um, it's overcast the whole time, a really good um, dynamic and static camera movements, um, driving during snowy banks and perspective shots. And um, it was, not only was it beautiful, but, you know, it's very, um, effective is not the word, but it's, it's like a punch in the gut kind of. Yeah. Like the horribleness of people. Yeah, there's um, a lot of that yeah. out there. A lot of that. <laughs> that's that's good yeah. subject material for a uh, neo noir. I love it. Yeah, it's it was so freaking good. Like, uh, I'm still thinking about it. And I Did you get a screener of that, or is it uh, online streaming? Yeah, it was a it was a screener. No, it was it was online screener. So it was streaming. Okay. But yeah, I really loved. It. I thought, to be honest, I thought that was the best film I saw from out of those two film festivals. Nice. That's a uh, good recommendation. I'll have to check that out, definitely. It sounds right up my alley. Yeah, really great. Awesome. Cool. Well, you want to you wanna jump into uh, Shane Black's The Nice Guys? Okay. So, um, no, this movie was my pick. Um, I was... Uh, Aren't they all? You know, <laughs> not always. I kind of give my... I don't uh, like to pick. I almost always make you pick. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> but um, I chose Nice Guys because, you know, I guess about uh, not quite a month, but um, recently Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was released. Um, and, you know, films that are set um, in L.A., especially period films. Um, now, personally, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I thought was good. Not as great as a lot of other people said it was. Um, but watching the film, it made me want to watch other films from uh, using that kind of retro aesthetic, even though it's like a different period. Um, now, Nice Guys was one of the films that like popped immediately to my head because it's a movie, it's only a few years old, but I, I really loved it. Um, now, the movie itself is about uh, Private Eye and uh, kind of like a heavy enforcer. It's Private Eye played by Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe as the enforcer who kind of team up to kind of unravel like this weird conspiracy of like dead bodies, murder, pornography, and the car industry. Um, I like how you say pornography. Pornography, yeah. adult videos, experimental films. <laughs> it's not a porn, uh, okay? <laughs> what's your hang-up? <laughs> um, but uh, it's a film, I I wonder if we talked about it a little bit on a previous iteration of the podcast, or maybe as like the intro, but I can't quite recall. Because it's only a couple years old. I don't recall. We, I mean, we may have, but uh, I, I know we didn't do a full episode on it. So, but this, this was so, a good choice. Definitely, it was, it was nice to revisit it. To be honest, I don't think I've watched it since we saw it in the theater together. Right? Really? I, we did see it together, been, right? It's been a couple. I, I believe so. That was it's one of those late years. night Suncoast crew, like where we had everybody there, right? Uh, yeah, I think that might have been one of the later ones before they started doing, like, 7 o'clock showings. Yeah, it was, like, in the middle of the summertime, right? Didn't it come out in, like, June or July? July, I think. Yeah. So, everybody was probably there. Yeah. So, it, it was a good revisit, though. I actually, like, I woke up early and, and re-watched it just uh, a little while before we started recording. So oh, I, hope, I see. Hopefully, it'll be fresh in my mind as we discuss it, you know, because sometimes... Yeah. You know, we, we watch movies way in advance, and, and I have to take a, a boatload of notes to re recall things. And I took a few notes here or there, but, uh, you know, I, not as many as I usually do. 
Yeah, yeah, I didn't take any notes, so. <laughs> well, that's your MO, but that's all right. You have a better memory than I do. You're young. I'm an old man, so. <laughs> well, all I, all I have in front of me is like uh, uh, a Wikipedia with, on the cast listing, just so I remember their names, but. Okay, well, you can help me out with actors and actresses if I get stuck on it then. Okay, don't ask for a pronunciation, I guess, but. <laughs> Your pronunciation will be way better than mine would be whenever we do, like, a, a foreign film. Okay, if it's Asian, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether, I mean, we, I don't think we've done anything other than Asian films and French films. We haven't done anything, right, besides that? I guess so. Yeah, so, but if we did, like, a German film, I would still butcher the crap out of it. it was, yeah. yeah well, speaking like, actually, speaking of the... Germans, like uh, Gosling's whole like uh, like fixation with Adolf Hitler in this movie, I find completely fascinating. Uh, it's hilarious. I'm not quite sure why it's there though. <laughs> hmm. Well, like yeah, there's a there's a number of callbacks. I mean, his character has a lot of weird little ticks. Yeah, um, yeah, he's the eccentric yeah, of the two. Killer bees and. Um, but like he's oh uh, yeah well maybe we should start there like the setting of this movie it's set in 1977 right 78 I believe 77 according to the title card the year of Star Wars oh okay you know what I'm thinking of is uh, 78 because at the end of the film it's Christmas time so yeah. I start going into 78 yeah okay yeah I, I they're, was... showing, they're showing the 78 cars at the car show yeah I I always thought it was weird that he set the movie in 1977 and there's not a single like Star Wars reference until it's I remembered Brothers. Brothers, that right? when they were making this movie in 2015, Disney had like put like the crackdown on like Star Wars references and and uh, limiting the amount of fan films and things like that, so they probably couldn't get the rights to put any Star Wars stuff in this movie, which is why when they drive across the billboards. The only mil- movie billboard you see is Jaws two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that. You know, nineteen seventy seven. I'm pretty sure that was the more iconic of the two movies. Yeah. Nineteen seventy seven, emblematic. They're doing a sequel to the greatest summer blockbuster of all time, Jaws. It's got Roy fucking Scheider in it, though. It's got that going for yeah. it, which it's is nice. Again. We love Roy Scheider. We've done. Have we done three Roy Scheider movies? Or just two? We did Marathon Man, and we did Sorcerer. We've talked about Jaws quite a bit on this show, though. Yeah, as we should. Yeah, of it's course. Good. You know, you can, always, you can always do good by putting more Roy Scheider in anything, so. But anyway, I'm straying as, as I usually do off the point. But like the... <laughs> The 1970s setting, like the movie opens up with that 1970s era Warner Brothers logo with like the stark, like really striking red background instead of the shield, uh, which I, I like them kind of other movies have done that as well. But like I, I like them kind of using that throwback logo. Um, and uh, and there's so many references, like cultural references that don't all I I don't think they all quite fit in this exact moment, but I kind of feel like it's um it's like that show The Goldbergs. Have you ever seen that show on TV? Yeah, I watched like uh, 
a decent number of episodes from the first season, but I never stuck with it. Yeah, well, like, uh, me too. Like, I watched, like, the first season and then, like, never never saw a a thing after that. But uh, they would always reference 80s stuff that didn't quite all happen at the same time. So, like, they would reference stuff that came out in the early 80s, and they would reference stuff that's set, like, way in the late 80s, even though it's set, like, in the mid-80s. So... I think Shane Black kind of doing the same thing here. They've got like, um, oh God, they've got the killer bees fear thing going on. They've got the crusade against pornography. They've got that post Watergate, like, you know, conspiracy, you know, corruption, government thing going on. Uh, you know, what else? They've got, um, the gas crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure more. Yeah, I, I mean, but, like, all this stuff is sort of, like, kind of giving you that, like, 1970s feel, the setting, um, you know, tensions are high. You know, I'm surprised you don't hear anything about, like, Iran or anything like that throughout the movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so it, it's they do a pretty good job of, like, not overdoing, like, the 70s-style wardrobe and cars and stuff. Like, it doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like a retro commercial, you know, where every little thing is like, hey, remember this, kids? But The extreme of the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's plenty of references and things for people, you know, you know, to, to kind of, like get into people who who lived through the 70s to kind of remember and and reminisce about uh, you know what was going on at the time yeah so. i mean you know as years go on you know you, you tend not to remember everything about a specific year for some reason we kind of bracket our memories so i think when people think the 70s they think of all of that stuff they don't necessarily think of oh only 1977 had this or so forth and so forth unless it's very narrow like a uh, very narrow reference yeah yeah, I mean, I think the aesthetic of the film is really good. Good soundtrack selection. Um, I think uh, um, one of the things that I always really like are like the driving scenes in movies like this, where you know, obviously, you know, the city doesn't look like that anymore, so they have to go back in post to kind of like, you know, make cars look old and billboards and buildings, you know, look like how they used to. But it feels, um, I don't, I don't want to say it feels authentic, but it's, it's always. Um, very striking to see like uh, a city line that you've seen, you know, hundreds of times in other films look like the way it did in the past, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's very telling that he opens the film, like the very first shot of the film is from behind the Hollywood sign. So you can see like all the graffiti and stuff. And it's kind of like him just setting you up and saying, okay, you know, there is an underbelly, a dark side to this town and we are going to show you what it is. Um, you know, so it's sort of like a visual metaphor for that. Yeah, I think um, the opening shot where you kind of go over like the city, you know, I mean, that's a that's a pretty standard one, but um, it works, especially considering, you know, the first five minutes of the movie, um, Hollywood Hills and stuff. Yeah, which seems completely like out of left field, um, you know, <laughs> because you don't really get a sense of like how that scene fits into the movie until later. Um, yeah, it literally, literally drops in on you. Yeah. So, but I think, like, there's a lot of visual comedy in the film, and I, I think the way the car skids off and goes over the, uh, the embankment is, is, in, is very funny, you know, as you're watching it over the shoulder of, what's that kid's name, Ty, Sim, 
Ty Simpkins? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that is that his name? Ty Simpkins? Yes. Okay. F- from Jurassic World. That kid, right? Yeah, and Iron Man 3. And Iron Man 3. Yeah, absolutely. Forgot about that. And Avengers Endgame. Good callback. He's not in that, is he? Yeah. You've seen Endgame, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's at the end at the funeral. So It's not him, though, is it? There's it's a... actually him. Is it really? Yes. There's like a there's like a teenager who's standing behind who, you know, for a lot of people he was it wasn't clear who he was, but uh, that was Ty Simpkins playing his character from Iron Man Three. I think a lot of people assumed that, but I didn't think it was actually him. I thought that was a different actor. Well, he's been going to like red carpet premieres and stuff, so Yeah. Wow. Alright. Guess I'll he have had to, been, I guess. I guess back. I'll have to force myself to rewatch that movie again. Oh, the Blu-ray just came out this week. Yeah. Yeah. Did you pick it up? Uh, I uh, reserved it uh, at FYE, so I'll probably be picking it up tomorrow. You plug in FYE? All right. You know what? I just picked mine up off the shelf at Target, 4K. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) Sorry, FYE. (laughs) Even though I am an FYE Backstage Pass VIP cardholder, still... But really, that's just to get the movie theater rebates and the restaurant rebates. I never use it for anything else. I've tried, I swear to you, being someone who worked for that company for so long, I have tried to go to my local FYE, which is in Moreno Valley. It's about 30 minutes away from me. And I've been there a few times to try to find specific movies. And I gotta be honest, I don't want to throw them under the bus like this, but I'm going to. Because the service has not been good, the store setup has not been good, their selection has not been good, and I like I I can't remember what it was. Um, we did a podcast on something, and it came out on 4K like the week before we did the podcast, and I went there, and they didn't have it. They were out of it. The guy didn't even offer to special order it for me, and I was like, you know what? I'll just go pick it up at Best Buy then. Screw you. And so, and to be honest, I, I have only been there like once or twice since. So I think I think the only thing I ever bought there was like a, I think I bought a T-shirt, and I think I bought a discount Blu-ray. So, sorry, Fye. Well, uh, we know who works at the the one I've been going to since it's a lot closer to where I work now. So we're, <laughs> yeah, Randy, yeah, Randy and Rick. So, <laughs> hey, Randy. Hey, Rick. If I still lived in Baltimore, I'd probably still come and see you guys and buy my shit there. But since I don't know anybody at this FYE, I'm a little bit more turned off by the, uh, you know, lack of customer service there. Okay. Well, we can consider if you want to keep this segment in the episode or not. Oh, I'm keeping it in. Screw it. What are they going to do, sue us? (laughs) It's like, as soon as it goes up, you get one less subscriber to the channel. (laughs) It's like, hey, I was listening to your podcast, man. Yeah, the FYE guy will unsubscribe. I can't even remember where we're at. Uh, we were talking about the setting and the opening scene, and then that turned into Ty Simpkins in Endgame. Okay. So you're the one who derailed this. I This is this is how it's going to be the entire 60 minutes, kids. I, I, I mean, okay. I don't know what to tell you. We haven't done this for a while, and to be honest, this is kind of always how it went anyway. So... We're just yeah, going to keep going. With ourselves, I guess. <laughs> so, 
what do you want to tackle next? Like, what do you think about these two characters? Like, this is a, I think it's a fantastic pairing. Uh, you know, I, I think the characters are, are written well and etched out well. And I think, um, you know, Gosling and Russell Crowe really kind of knock this out of the park, actually. Yeah, I think um, they play off each other really well. I really like the ticks of uh, um, Ryan Gosling's character. Um, he has a lot of energy, and he's very, very funny. Um, yeah, it's kind of there's... against type for both of these guys because, you know, Russell Crowe... Um, well, maybe it's not so much against type for Russell Crowe because he's kind of he's kind of played a bruiser, you know, and the straight guy in a lot of movies, I guess. But for Gosling... I mean, early in his career, we're used to seeing him as, like, the stoic, silent type. Especially, like, uh, you know, he's definitely known for his movies more like like Blade Runner and Drive and, you know. And Only God Forgives. Yeah, the stuff he did with Refn and, and yeah, the Blade Runner role. Um, yeah, I mean, he was perfect for that because, you know, of the, the characters that he had previously been associated with, a lot of them had been very sort of, like, robotic and... Uh, there was always a stillness and a quiet that he would bring, and he really like turns that 180 degrees in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really like how I really like when he when he uh, screams out of like surprise. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, like, he has that like, total and and forgive me, I don't want any feminists coming at me, but like he has the total like girl scream going on. Yeah, it's very shrill. Yeah, um, he's got uh, a tendency like when he's surprised whatever he says Jesus is like really great. Jesus. Oh yeah. I, I love that moment where um, he's like, Jesus Christ, everybody shut up. And, and the Holly's friend, Janet is like, you took the Lord's name in vain. And he's like, no, I didn't. I felt good about it. It served a purpose. <laughs> it, it, it served its purpose very well. Janet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, like these, these guys like, um, I, I, I like that they're sort of, I, I don't know, like I would almost say that they're sort of two sides of the same coin. You know, like they're both dealing with um, with something internally that they're working through from previous relationships. Um, whereas like uh, Gosling's character, um, Holland, is working through the guilt of his wife passing away. Uh, in a in a fire, which is a horrific way to die, that they don't delve into, but it's 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 still within the text in the movie, you know that he's he's incredibly guilty, uh, and 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 just going through a lot of pain as a result of it, which is why he's sort of become an alcoholic. Um, whereas, like the Russell Crowe character, is dealing with the pain of like. Uh, a horrible betrayal where like his, his wife ran, I guess ran away with his father. Is that the deal? Like that's, she, well, she said she was sleeping with him. Yeah. Was, that, was that his wife or girlfriend or? <laughs> well, I, he was they, married they play, they, because they play for comedy, certainly. Yeah. It's a, it's a literal, a literal spit take, but yeah, I, 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 to be honest, like, I mean, I don't know how much that really affected him. That's like, it's a, seems like he's okay. Well, but, <laughs> I th I think honestly I think it affects him greatly and I'm not sure that this cynicism and the jaded quality that you see in him throughout the movie was there before that moment in his life. Um, we don't really know though because I mean, right. that probably got him to drink heavily. So I mean, you know, resulting in the diner, the diner incident, I guess. But 
Yeah, where he got his bicep blown off. Yeah. <laughs> but still managed to not wince or cry and beat the hell out of a guy. So uh, pretty pretty terrific there. Um, but yeah, you know, like, but Holland's, you know, cynical, his morality has eroded, you know, as a result of what happened with his wife. Uh, he's turned to alcohol, whereas, like, the Russell Crowe character is very jaded, especially about love. You know, in his voiceover, like, one of the first things he says in the beginning of the movie is, um, you know, love is buying a house for somebody that you hate. Um, or marriage. Marriage is buying a home for somebody that you hate. Um, and and so he's, where, whereas uh, the Holland character is... is I guess you can't call him nonviolent, but much less violent than the Russell Crowe character. Um, like he's really kind of found an outlet through his, through the violence, I think. You know, and um, but there's a lot there's a lot of him trying to improve himself and and get out of that. You know, like he has a calmness in most of the movie that I find, um, you know, really great for that character. Uh, and I love the, like the self-help calendar, like the, the vocabulary calendar that he has with equanimity, (laughs) you know, and even then though, it shows how jaded he is, you know, where he says, um, oh God, what was it? Um, he's like, he accepted her betrayal with equanimity, (laughs) I think is the line that he says after that. Something um, I think is funny is that, like, uh, when he's doing the voiceover, where he introduces himself to, uh, like, about what he does after he um, punches out uh, um, the guy who's given uh, marijuana to the thirteen-year-old. Yeah. Um, he says, "You know, uh, we're not going to find him in the yellow pages." But then, um, you know, later on when he sees Amelia, there's like literally like a magazine with his face on it. Yeah. Well, I guess you know that's he found some fame after the, the diner incident. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so some measure of small not, fame not, came to him. You're not going to find me in the yellow pages. What? Just small, like, more well, I think, um, I think the, the fact that Gosling doesn't know who he is at all is, is maybe not specifically symptomatic of this, but like the fleeting nature of fame in, especially in that town in Los Angeles and Hollywood. Um, so, you know, I think they referenced that it was the previous February when the diner incident happened. So, like, we're, we're talking, you know, less than a year later, and people don't remember who he is for the most part. So Yeah. I mean, um, I'm sure that probably makes it easier for his job, so. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, they, they really play well off one another, um, and I, I, I really, like... I really think that they're incredibly funny together. And I, I know Shane Black has said um, that he could make a hundred movies with these two characters. You know, I, you know, I'd like to see him do one more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know. I think a nice guys Two set in like 1978 or 79 would be good. I don't, I don't want her to bring it into the eighties though. Please don't do that. There's enough eighties nostalgia going on right now. I don't need it in stranger things territory. Yeah, well, plus uh, the daughter, I guess she's uh, a little bit older now, too, so... Yeah, yeah. She's oh, a really yeah. good little actress, too. Like, um, she was in the Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movies, right? Yeah, she plays uh, Liz. Yeah. Um, Angry Rice, which sounds like a, like a dish at a restaurant. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I like her a lot, though. Um, I, I like her relationship with her dad. I like that she's willing to call him on his bullshit, but she's also his biggest fan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's... Well, it's uh, very similar to, I guess, like Shane Black wrote The Last Boy Scout. Um, he did. And, like, uh, Bruce Willis's daughter, and that is, like, kind of very similar, like, mature... I want sassy is not the right word, but like um, maybe mature isn't the right word, but she's very self-reliant and confident. Yeah. And go getter. Very Nancy Drew like, to be honest, just a lot dirtier. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Um, our, our mutual friend and former celluloid jelly uh, guest star, uh, Jason Swoboda is a huge fan of the last boy scout. And when we were working at Suncoast together, um, we would often quote a few of them back and forth from that movie. Uh, Did you do Nice Guys too? Set it in the '90s, but have it take place at the same time as The Last Boy Scout. <laughs> and and digitally <laughs> de-age Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis so they can make an appearance. Uh, it'll just be it'll just be like you know you'll hear like on the news you know Holland will be like, do you hear what happened at the stadium? Jeez, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> you get the whole Shane Black verse coming out now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you have. Yeah, you know, and then like Healy will just be drinking like you out of a like a juice box. Yeah, it'd be the BCU, <laughs> the Black Cinematic Universe. Yeah, going back Thoughts to never <laughs> going back to the character of Holly, um, you know, I I, I think uh, her character sort of serves to kind of she's almost like the great equalizer for both of them almost because she really she brings the best out of her father usually by confronting him. Um, you know, when she yells at him and tells him that he's a fuck up and that he's the worst detective is usually when he starts to kind of like get back on track. And that's what he, uh, yeah. And and for the Russell Crowe character, she is tempering his violent tendencies by bringing in, I guess, like a more like moral pacifist perspective to it. Um, and you know, and I like that, you know, I mean, uh, because the like the first thing that Russell Crowe says, the the first line of the entire movie is, "Oh God, uh, there's something wrong with kids these days." And I like that the best person in the whole movie is the kid. Well, I mean, like he, he, you mentioned his cynicism uh, earlier on, but he's got a like your typical kind of like decency despite like his violence. Right. So, I mean, he doesn't want to do stuff and, you know, like I guess when he kills Blueface, uh, played by Bo Knapp, he, um, you know, he tells her, you know, head off, but you know, he's got no compunctions. I he knows he's going to kill this guy. Um, but he doesn't want to do it in front of her, you know? Yeah. Well, it's retribution for the fish. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but it's also, you know, um, he's not as far gone as he thinks he is. And, you know, she's, she's the one that kind of pulls him back. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I guess we'll, we'll never know whether, if they got help, whether Blueface would die or not. But I mean, look at him. He was freaking it, folded it, in half. Yeah, it, it might have been a mercy <laughs> killing. <laughs> so uh, so you can, you can almost say that that wasn't murder. He was, he was more uh, giving a, a Kevorkian-esque... And he's not getting to that kind of great territory because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he murdered that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just straight up strangled him on the concrete. You're like, yeah, you're on death's door anyway, but I'm gonna make it. Yeah, faster. you know, I mean, he, you know, and you know that whole the whole setup with like the party just before that sequence, you know, 
I mean, he's like, what, like what they, what does he do? He shoots, you know, Keith David, um, in the leg. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the leg. But he doesn't kill him. But then, through you know, the hot tub. Yeah, they, that's they, amazing uh, accuracy for when you're in the middle of a fight and your head is in the hot tub. <laughs> he's an expert. He's got magazine articles about him. <laughs> um, but then, you know, when they find Stitch Attic, like, you know, Holland and Healy, like, they don't, like, okay, let's just get rid of the body. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Which is a great scene. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, like, comedically, I almost think that that's a little bit clumsy of them to, to go really for like such it. a big, like... You might feel that way because that was a scene that was featured in the trailer. Yeah. But, like, watching it in, like, if that wasn't in the trailer and seeing that in the film immediately, I, you know, I really think it's funny that it falls into, like, a Chinese wedding. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, we never hear anything about it afterwards. Yeah. Just that everyone knows that Sid's dead. Um, but, like, yeah. Like, uh, Gosling's freak out when he finds the body is pretty great, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Gosling, to be honest, um, I kind of felt like this movie is sort of like a revelation for him um, because I I didn't know he had the kind of range that he has uh, until this movie. Um, So, you know, like a lot of the facial expressions and physical comedy that he brings to that role uh, is something that I was really surprised by. now, having seen, uh, I guess it was the year after, having seen La La Land, um, you know, I knew that he was a gifted physical performer, you know, and even though they don't do a lot of incredibly challenging dancing in that movie, uh, you know, he, he can still move, um, you know, so... Well, he was a um, Mickey Mouse Club kid. He was a so Disney kid, was yeah. Well, see, that was, like, I was too old to be aware of that at the time. So now in hindsight, I can look at that, you know, and judge looking at his career that he probably had those skills. But based on his movie career up until that point, yeah, like I, I, this was a big surprise for me. Um, Crow, not so much, uh, you know, but, but he's really, really good in it and he's really funny. And you mentioned the scene earlier when, um, his wife uh, tells him that she's sleeping with his father and he does the spit take. I think he's, I think he's quite funny in that scene as well. Mm-hmm. So I like, I like his um, breakdowns of scenes, like the scene where he gets accosted in his apartment. Um, oh yeah. Um, when he like, drops I mean, the like, yoo-hoo. Yeah. When they uh-huh. hit him over the head. Uh-huh. Yo, I, I gotta say, I, I love the yoo-hoo like, I don't know if you'd call it a joke or a gag or whatever, but when she offers him the Yoo-Hoo and he throws the apple and he's like, oh yeah, and he takes one and he's like, I haven't had one of these in 30 years. And then the very next thing you see is him with an entire case of Yoo-Hoo. He's and, like, man, I miss this shit. <laughs> I know, it's so relatable though because yeah, like, I, I don't know about you, but I go through like phases with foods and stuff where, like, I'll get, like, a bag of, of, like, Fritos or something that I haven't had for, like, a decade, and then I'll just have it for, like, two weeks straight. I'll just eat Fritos. Um, you know, I, after that movie, I literally bought you at 7-Eleven. I remember that. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then, like, it's a damn shame that he drops that whole case. Too I know. Bad. I was like, geez, who's cleaning this up? <laughs> Too bad they were all glass bottles. Thanks, 1970s. Yeah. 
all that waste. I know. <laughs> Should have been recycling plastic. Mm. They're but, still in glass models, though. <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, but yeah, uh, you you were talking about the uh, the scene in the apartment. Oh yeah, well I mean you know he's got two two like killers with guns trained on him, and he's just kind of like breaking it down. It's like you're doing this wrong, guys. You know, as professionals, you know this is not how you conduct yourself. Um, you know, eventually until he he talks them into his, uh, you know, he kind of buys time enough for him to kind of turn the tables on him. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally, agree. Totally embarrassing, Blueface, and uh, you know, kind of setting up the stage for that, you know, retribution killing later on. Yeah. But, well, yeah, I, I agree. He shows amazing like calm and even temperedness in that scene. It's not the first time I've been in this situation. Yeah, it, even the point where he's like, you know, you did the wrong thing, you pissed me off, you made an enemy. It, he's still kind of like cocks his head and kind of gives a grin, and he's like, "Yeah, you fucked up, man." Like, you know, it, he doesn't get angry, even See, though like, when you came here today, is this is this what you wanted? Is this what you wanted to happen to yeah. feed me fish? Well, that's I, I mean that's that's good writing. Yeah, I mean that that yeah. goes that goes back to Shane Black and and you know what that guy is capable of and his talent on the page, um, but uh, you know one thing I want to point out about that scene that I think is really great and I can't take credit for realizing it myself because I actually watched like um, uh, a a little behind the scenes thing with the cinematographer uh, and and he pointed it out so I won't take credit for it, um, but that scene takes place exactly the opposite of what it would in any other movie. In any other movie, they would be in a bright room and they'd have their conversation and in order to throw the guys off, he would turn the lights off. But in this scene... Oh, yeah. He turns it, on the television. Yeah, in, in this scene, they're in a dark room and in order to throw them off, he turns all the lights on to startle them. Um, and, and I thought that was really... Uh, like a terrific kind of spin on like what would be a normal trope for something like that. Yeah. Are there? Can you think of other films where that happens? Where they like turn the lights off and do something yeah. bad? I mean, sometimes you'll see something with like you know, like a desk lamp shining in someone's face or a flashlight to blind someone. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I just recently rewatched Clue. So they turn the lights off and Mr. Body dies. So uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not not quite what I was what I was thinking of. But. Yeah, I know, I know. I can't, I can't think of one offhand, but I, like I, I I know a lot of movies do that where the somebody will like throw a lamp against the wall and the room becomes dark, or they'll switch the lights off and and then there's a fight in the darkness. Um, Is that the Especially that? in like. Yeah, I mean, this movie's influenced heavily by detective fiction and by old detective movies, uh, and that used to happen quite a bit in those kinds of films as well. Yeah. Um, and this this particular film has a lot of the same tropes that you find in sort of like private eye movies and stuff, like The Big Sleep and, um, you know, things like that, you know, like Philip Marlowe and and uh, Sam Spade and, and things, um, you know, where multiple cases are going on at the same time, but eventually they end up merging and becoming all part of the same thing. Um, and I, I think they do that uh, pretty well in this movie, um, mm -hmm. even though, like, 
there's so much coincidence in this film. It's it's crazy, like to the yeah. point where the coincidences are just par- are co- are comical. So yeah, I mean the the serendipity. Um, you know, I think that's maybe that's part of his skill. You know, yeah. Holland says earlier on. You know, I think I might later on. He says I think I might be invisible. Uh, I might be invincible. Right. But I think you know maybe his real talent was luck. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Pass it out, passing out uh, um, while driving and amongst other things and you know things fall into place for him yeah well most movies only get away with like one major coincidence sometimes two especially in comedies get away with more which is why it kind of works here but like you know the the sid shattuck billboard is like a big coincidence for them you know just driving down the highway and finding the guy that you need to find in order to find the girl um fucking chet yeah, finding Sid's body, him falling down and, and rolling down the hill and sitting right next to a dead body is a, is a big coincidence. Um, I think the blue pinstripe jacket is a big coincidence. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a double coincidence. It's a coincidence that, that Russell Crowe's character, uh, Jackson, just kind of stumbles upon it so that it can be a callback for later. But then when the trail's completely cold, uh, the old lady, uh, Amelia's grandmother, played by Lois Smith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when she shows back up, she starts to just tell her story again, which seems very plausible that she would do that. But then she specifically brings up the, pl- the blue pinstripe suit so that he can recall it from there and they can get the trail going back again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, like another big one I thought was um, when the coffee doesn't work, when Holly kind of takes the coffee and throws it on the tally and it turns out to be cold coffee um, and it doesn't work. But then she slips on the coffee and hits her head on the floor <laughs> and they're all like, well, that worked out. Like, <laughs> so like there's a whole bunch of that stuff. Um, you know, like major coincidences that keep them on the right track or lead them somewhere where they wouldn't have been or get them out of a jam. Um, and that's like, that's a staple of like, you know, mystery, you know, movies and mystery detective fiction and stuff. Um, but like, there's a tremendous amount of it going on here. And yeah, you know, certainly this movie leans to the comedy quite a bit more where those coincidences are much more common. Yeah. Um, and I, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Gosling, uh, talking about how he was invincible, man. I gotta say, we were talking about visual comedy, like earlier, um, the, the shot of him falling from the rooftop and landing in the pool and Keith David splattering (laughs) is, is so graphic and so fucking hilarious. He literally like, turns into pizza sauce. Like. I, 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 li- I literally rewound it and watched it a second time. <laughs> Just so funny. Brutally funny. Um, well, he falls from everything, man. Like. <laughs> well, I, I know, and that leads to um, that leads to him in the in the pool seeing Richard Nixon, which is the callback to uh, Russell Crowe's little story about how like a jogger, what was it? A jogger had like a heart attack and Richard Nixon went no, to help him. Yeah. Some like a car fell on him or was it a jogger or a driver? Yeah, or, like, I, I, I don't Nixon know. Came upon a, 
someone trapped underneath a car. Right, but then he poses the question, like, does like did the guy think it was normal, like, instead of seeing an angel escorting him into heaven, did he think it was normal that it was Richard Nixon telling him that everything was going to be okay and that he was going to go to heaven? <laughs> like, and then Gosling imagines him in the pool and swims <laughs> away from him, like, he's you know, like, like no, well, I want to like, live. Water, you can't really hear it, but he's like, no. Right. Because, like, no, I'm not... Not dying. <laughs> At that moment, it is... That's, that story saved his life. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. But I also think that um, the scene with Bumble, uh, the Hannibal Burris bee in the back of the yeah. car while he's having his like hallucination slash dream while he's driving, um, I think it's funny because like those two scenes give the film a very like outrageous quality, but for some reason they don't do either of them in a dreamlike kind of thing. Um, which I, which I thought was odd, but it does seem to work for the film. I think a lot yeah, of other I mean, directors would have made that like, would have made that seem feel like very surreal. Uh, but I don't think that black does that. Yeah. I mean, those scenes just kind of happen, I guess, because they kind of cut immediately to his perspective so, like, for him, they're very real, I guess. Um, like, we're talking about the scene with Tally and, and, like, just, and, like, the cold coffee. You know, it's obviously a dream sequence because he's there's a talking giant bumblebee in a car. But, like, he still, you know, believes that there's, a, like, an ankle pistol on, on Healy's, like, leg. Yeah. So, like, he, for him, those things are, they you know, he can't reconcile like how, how much of that stuff actually happened versus, you know, being obviously fake. But like, yeah, I guess like the scene with the ankle gun is, I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a good payoff. It, yeah, it totally is. I, I like that they don't come out and explicitly say that like Russell Crowe character, the, the character is like a recovering alcoholic. Um, but you get the sense of that. Because he just keeps turning down drinks the whole movie. Yeah, maybe that's why you got all the yoo-hoo, you know? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, but then then at the end of the movie, he's drinking again, and everything is honky-dory. <laughs> yeah, congrats. congrats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what the world needs, just a little bit of a drink, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's handling it all right. <laughs> yeah, whereas, like, Holland is a, like, I, I, I hesitate to use the term functioning alcoholic, but... Uh, yeah. He's an alcoholic for sure. Yeah, I mean it's also months since then, so who knows where, where he is, you know, in December, like by the end of the film, right? So Well, he goes to the bar to meet him and get a drink, right? Yeah, but you know, it's not like he gets I mean it's a short scene. Uh, who knows if he's still that or like his daughter's influence has changed him a little bit more. It's months, you know. That's a situation that changes people. That's true. Um how about that LA Confidential reunion? It's all right. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I kept thinking to myself during Kim Basinger's scenes that like that she's not very good in the movie. Actually, like well, I, I think she's um, I don't, I don't I hesitate to say to say the word bland, but like I mean, she's very like I, I feel like she probably filmed her scenes in like a day or two. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's just like serves her purpose, but she, you know, she's in the office and then inside like the um, the Justice Building, and then that's literally it, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the, and then there's the scene where they see her in the car when she reveals that she's Amelia's mother. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, she was probably there for two days, something like that. But, yeah, I just, like, the scene in her office where she's sort of explaining what's going on, and um, I love the bit where she offers Gosling a mint but doesn't offer Crow a mint because Gosling probably just smells like, you know, the back end of a booze room. And and how uh, and how Jackson encourages Holland to take the mint. (laughs) Um, But I just kept remember thinking like during that scene that like like she probably could have played that and you know I'm not an actor but she probably could have played that a couple different ways and she kind of plays it right down the middle and she's kind of even overacting I think a little bit in in a couple line deliveries. Like, it just didn't do anything for me. Like, I, I kind of... It, it made me a little sad, actually. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, I can't really recall many other films I've seen recently featuring Kim Basinger. Yeah. That's true. She, she might be semi-retired. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. What do you think about this, like, the mystery-slash-story-slash, like, conspiracy in general? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, like, like, I think it's pretty well done. I, I like my uh, my one thing, and it's it's a it's a small thing, uh, and so like most people just be like, yeah, whatever. Um, but when John Boy shows up at Holland's house, and he throws, what is is it, Jessica? Jessica okay. through the window. He throws Jessica through the window. And then he goes back out to his car, and then he's got a bunch of, like, automatic weapons in the trunk. And for some reason, I just kept thinking, yeah, we must be getting to the finale because things are escalating, and they're just using more and more guns and stuff. Um, But I kind of felt like it was a little out of place for a 70s set movie for him to be using, like, automatic weapons. Oh, well, he came from the East Coast, right? So he's he's prepared. He's a professional. He's got... I mean, not that they weren't around, but the yellow pages. I just so. assume that's like I just associate that stuff more frequently with like '80s and '90s action movies, and not '70s era stuff. So, like, I kind of feel like I, I wanted like a smaller shootout there, personally. You know, um, you know, I don't mind it so much. I like that scene. The only thing that kind of bothered me, I mean, because I mean, I like the gunplay is pretty solid in the film. But, you know, like, freaking Jessica, like, you're trying to make a break for it by running in between, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, with a knife and a gun. <laughs> she runs right into his arms. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, he did make her a deal. Maybe she was going to take him up on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's the one who alerted him because of the, uh, you know, the Waltons. So, <laughs> yeah. Your fault, Jessica. You're worse than Janet. Jeez. <laughs> I love, he, like, he literally throws her through a window, and the next time we see her, she's just kind of sitting there, like, nice and calm. She's got, you know, she looks like she's been through it, but at the same time, it's just like, man, should you no be in the hospital? Her, no cuts on her face or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, Margaret Qualley. She's, she's pre- okay. I mean. 
I think she's great. I, uh, like I, I, I love the scene where like when they wake her up and then she starts going off about how her mother and the government and fascism. Yeah. <laughs> fascist. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no. Yes, I mean, I, I think I think she acts like a normal teenager of that time period who, you know, quote-unquote... How, how old is she supposed to be in this movie? I, I mean, I'm assuming 16 years old, something like that. 16, 17 years old. When she leaves, she says to Holly, I think, tell Mr. Healy thanks for nothing. <laughs> And I, 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 like, that line makes me not like her, but I think it's a great line because I think it's very realistic for what, like, someone in that situation, like a teenager, would say. You know, like, why couldn't you have handled this three days ago, dickwad? <laughs> well, she gave him the wrong name, you know what I mean? She did. She sent him after the wrong guy, yeah. yeah I mean, I gotta say, like, her... Her ability to like survive from falls is comparable to Holland's, though. True. Yeah, like, her jump out of lands on a car in a hotel. Um, you know, jumps out of like their whatever side, you know, house. Most of the film, she's kind of like you just see like glimpses of her um, after her first bit of dialogue with Healy, the beginning of the film. Um, so until that moment when she arrives at the house, like she's. Uh, Mostly, um, kind of like go like you know, lost in the wind for me. Yeah. Um, now I do think that scene when she wakes up after that is you know is believable in the way that you described it, but you know, I don't I don't know that there's a lot um, to that character other because I mean she's she's definitely not as likable as like Holland and Healy and, and Holly. Those characters are way more interesting. No, but um, yeah, I mean she's 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 important. She's the MacGuffin, you know. That's. Yeah. So maybe it's a relief that she's gone at the end of that scene. So <laughs> yeah, that's what you get. I love that Gosling gets his like say anything Breakfast Club moment at the end of the movie when he gets the film reel and he like holds it up. Like all it's missing is the music at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's he's vindicated. You know, it's like everything worked out. You know, sometimes you just win, as yeah. he says, right. And his wardrobe at the end of the movie is super like nineteen eighties Miami Vice. He's wearing He's there. like the white like, suit the white and a turquoise like, shirt. Yeah, <laughs> little bit of jewelry. He just needs to He's get the... rid of that nineteen seventies mustache and he'll be there. Nah, I mean that's cool. He can keep it. <laughs> He's at He's at the cutting edge of fashion. Just doesn't know it. Yeah, I love that they never make him look cool. Like the like it, it's very specific and purposeful that they like they never make him look cool. They never make him look cool like firing a gun or driving the car, um, taking a shit. Yeah, well, like <laughs> that's a great routine actually, right there. Like him and the like the stall door when uh, when Jackson shows up um, mm-hmm. and dropping good, the the cigarette good choreography. Yeah, yeah. He drops it in his lap, right? <laughs> yeah, it's that's uh you know very like. Uh, very like Abbott and Costello, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess they maybe make him look cool, like at his house when he's firing the gun. But like in the finale, when he's like at the car show and everything, 
when he's like firing the gun and he like jumps over the hood of a car and as he does it they purposely like don't use a stunt man they let him do it so that it looks a little bit slower and a little bit more awkward <laughs> they just kind of they just kind of make him look a little bit amateurish in the action yeah, well, department you know earlier we talked about like his luck um, there's a scene after he he leaves like I guess um, the pool area to to go after like the film reel and um, John Boy follows him down. He runs down an escalator. He jumps over the ledge, lands on a table, and the table flips up behind him and lands upright. That table landing upright blocks bullets from John Boy as he's running away. Yeah. Well, and he he's falls got- through glass and lands on top of a car. Yeah. He's got superpowers for sure. He really, he's like Domino from Deadpool. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> All right, man. Even better, he's, he's Holland from Nice Guys. I know. Uh, anything else you uh, you got for this? Um, no, I mean, I, I really enjoy this movie. Um, now, you said you probably hadn't seen it since you saw it in the theater. It's probably been like a year or two since I'd seen it. But it's always a, it's a pretty nice uh, revisit. Now, I mentioned... Uh, I chose this because I watched it once by a time in Hollywood, but uh, I was kind of torn between this one and Inherent Vice, which is another movie I like, which has been also um, funny, but also very different. Yeah, yeah, Inherent Vice. Uh, actually, there was a recent movie, which I am not a big fan of, but um, if people want to check it out just because, um, called Under the Silver Lake. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people I know have been checking that out lately. That's uh, It was from the... The filmmaker who did It Follows, and it stars Andrew Garfield, and he gets pulled into a an L.A. set mystery uh, where one of his neighbors disappears, a neighbor that he sort of has a thing for. Um, so it kind of, like, pulls him deeper and deeper into, like, the underbelly of Los Angeles, and there's a bunch of, like, conspiracy theories going on in it and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's got a lot of the same elements. It's nowhere near as funny, nowhere near as much action. Uh, it's a, it's a very much a different kind of, uh, noirish kind of a story. Um, I, I, I did not find it to be very satisfying. Um, I think I gave it two stars out of five when I rated it on Letterboxd. Um, it, yeah, just didn't, the elements didn't work for me and it felt very long and it took me almost three, it took me three times, I think, to get through the entire movie. So, uh, not a, not a ringing endorsement by any stretch, but it has, like I said, a lot of the elements of, of movies like Inherent Vice and, and the nice guys. And so if, if you want to check it out, Hey, you know, tweet at me, tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. You know, happy to have the discussion. Um, you know, there were things about it that I definitely liked, but, um, you know, I, I won't be revisiting anytime soon. Yeah, maybe I'll push it a little bit farther back on my two watch list. Hey, you might really like it, man. I don't know. I have too, there's too much stuff to watch right now anyway, man. It, it also <laughs> has a couple of like weird, surreal-type moments in it as well. And it does have a really, a really great dance scene where uh, Andrew Garfield is dancing to R.E.M.'s What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Okay. And it's not like a great choreographed scene, but it's like the energy level. It's good. Dancing Spider-Man. Yep, yep. Just like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3. Or Tom Holland and everything else. <laughs> and Tom Holland on, uh, what's the name of that show? Uh, it's Who's like Celebrity Lip Sync or whatever. Yeah, Lip Sync Battle. 
Uh, he did uh, he did like a what do you do like a Madonna song or something like that? Miley Cyrus or something? It was really good. Whatever it was, yeah. He had like three costume changes during it or something. Uh, maybe it was Beyonce or Rihanna, Rihanna or something, right? Yeah, I don't know. I know I've seen it, but I don't remember what the song was. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really up to date on popular music. Me either. But that's because we, we're old. You know, yeah, this movie had Earth, Wind, and Fire in it, though. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, actually, the party scene's really good. I mean, like, I, that house is amazing. Look at all the sexing that went on in there. Yeah? Do <laughs> um, you have any final thoughts? No, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the uh, rewatch. I, I think there's you know, a lot of great stuff in this movie. Uh, for me, being such a big fan of uh, film noir and detective stories and things like that, I, I think those elements of it worked for me pretty well. Um, I don't think it's a great detective story, but I think the, I think the, the largest thing that Shane Black and his co-writer wanted this movie to be was more of like the buddy cop type thing anyway. Uh, and I think it's very successful on that level. Um, and I, I think it's really funny. And I, I, I like the characters. I'd like to see another movie featuring these two or three. I, I'd include the, the kid, um, these three characters. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you guys haven't seen it, you should check it out, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh can't recommend it enough just really totally enjoyable for me cool awesome man um well, what are we gonna do next gosh i guess that's something we should table for another time <laughs> who knows <laughs> all uh, right well, hopefully we'll, we'll get back on we'll figure on track that out to recording regularly uh, i want to say thanks thanks guys for this uh hopefully it wasn't too painful we'll see what cj can do in editing but uh you know we're shaking off the cobwebs as they say and we hope to be back on a regular schedule too but yeah. uh, if you guys have some suggestions for upcoming uh, movies that we could cover, you know, you know, make a comment in the group or, you know, let us know on Twitter. Uh, where can people find you on social media, CJ? Uh, well, they, they should definitely, um, you know, join the Celluloid Jelly group on Facebook. And uh, you can tweet at me. Um, my handle is at setting the frame. And what about you? Uh, you can find me at filmsmash.com or on Twitter at Junior Vigil. Uh Also, I'm on Letterboxd as well. Um, as am I. So uh, there you go. Cool. All right, man. Uh, well, everybody, thanks. Um, you know, and uh, appreciate you guys, you know, coming back to the show and giving us another chance after such a long hiatus. Uh, for those of you who have been keeping everything alive on the Facebook group, and posting things like trailers and articles and just your thoughts about the, the Academy Awards and things like that. Um, you know, people like Sam Dennis and uh, Chelsea Dove and, and um, Gene Mardaga and, and, you know, a few, a few others. I don't, I don't want to miss anybody out there. If I did, I'm sorry. You know, but for those of you who've been out there, like, posting and, and keeping the thing alive, you know, we really appreciate it. So it's been a, it's been a rough year, or a great year, but, a, you know, rough year scheduling to, to get together and do this, so. Thanks. All right. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. 
For any inquiries related to celluloid jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.